The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass. Right? It's gonna be played on the grass. I don't say stuff just to say it for a click, you know, contrary to what some may say. But, uh, yeah, I, get, I keep receipts. Uh, but I'm serious. I analyze and I understand what we're up against and what we have and what we need. One thing that I could say honestly and candidly, you better get me right now. This is the worst we're going to be. You better get me right now. Now, somebody, yeah, I, I got messengers. God bless him, though, man. He's a great coach. He's did a great job. God bless him. He take their shots. They won. I don't shoot. I don't do that. They won. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Ostertagger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. As always, early in the week, joined by our football analyst, William Gardner. William, I know you got them, some things to get off your chest, and we're going to get into that. We pretty much have no plan for this show. I had brunch with family out in Oregon on Sunday morning, flew back yesterday. This morning, I, I was out at Colorado's first men's basketball practice. Cody Williams, he is uh, the real deal. Folks are really going to enjoy watching him play in Boulder as long as he's around. But obviously, th this is going to be a, a football-centered show. And I just, before we hit record, William saw a video where Travis Hunter is pleading Coach Prime to be able to play this week. And Coach Prime shut that down pretty quick. But uh, it just goes to show you the, the mentality of Travis Hunter. And he even said, if there weren't doctors on the sideline, I still wouldn't have gotten out. I still would have been in the Colorado State game. So he is uh, he's a dog. Uh, and he is somebody that is willing to do whatever it takes to get that out there on the football field. Uh, you just got to love his passion for football. And that's what Coach Prime is always looking for in these recruits, right? That love for the game. Yeah, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, you kinda, I was going to go off on a different tangent, but it's hard to leave this one alone. You know, Travis Hunter's the kind of guy, you know, you, you, you hear people talk about who would you want to be in a foxhole with. And, and he's the kind of guy because, you know, being in the Marine Corps and the Navy, you know, you, you look at like a combat situation, you know, a guy gets a hand blown off or whatever. I'm reading a book about Medal of Honor winners in World War II, and they got these horrendous injuries and they keep on going. Now, clearly, this is not the same situation, but you want that guy with the same kind of heart that you know you can count on. And I've always said, you know, I learned early on that you don't know what anybody's made of until things go wrong because everybody's there when things are going good and things are happy, everybody's there. We saw that last weekend, you know, and then you don't really know until the crap hits the fan, who's going to still be standing there when things turn bad. So Travis Hunter, I think that, you know, the message for the team was look what he's willing to do. What are you willing to do? Today's episode is brought to us by Macaulay capital fractional CFO services. Is your business looking for financial guidance and support, but not yet big enough to hire a full-time CFO? Well, we have a solution for you. Hiring a fractional CFO who can work with your business on a part-time basis. You get the benefit of having a seasoned financial expert on your team without the commitment or expense of a full-time hire. And here's the best part. It's likely that a partnership with Macaulay Capital will be a win-win situation, meaning that your business will make more money from the guidance of a fractional CFO than the total cost of partnering with us. For more information or to set up a meeting, please visit MacaulayCapital.com. That's M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y Capital.com. 
I'm a little perplexed in terms of some of the overreaction we saw, but I, I think part of that is people were just waiting for the first loss of the Coach Prime era, and that's kind of sad. If that's what you've just been waiting for to send out certain tweets or have a certain opinion, I don't know because you're losing sight of the fact this this was a one and eleven football team that still is three and one right now. Well, and there, you know, you you make that comment, and I'm not sure which which way to go with it because I got 15 different directions to go off of that. And it, it kind of takes me to my larger theme for today. I did have a theme for today, but um, why, why, why is there such a pushback and such a backlash against Deion Sanders, against Coach Prime? And I think it's fairly, it, it, you know, there's a couple different aspects to it. You know, uh, number one, he's a threat. He's a threat to these people. You take Dan Lanning, and if you want to look up the definition, if, if, you, if you're not clear what white privilege is, Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning is white privilege. This guy, he's got no better resume than, say, a Jay Norvell up, up at Colorado State, but he got all the right jobs because he knows the right people. You know, and he, he doesn't have any kind of a special background to make him the head coach of that thing. And he's up there talking about we're playing for wins and they're playing for clicks. I got two words for you, pal, and ain't happy birthday. And if you'd like to come to Denver, I'll have a beer with you and I'll tell them right to your face. Because unlike you, I will say it to you. That comment that you made, we all know. We all know you won't make that comment. To, when you get face-to-face with Coach Prime, you can be meek as a mouse and be as polite as you possibly can because you're ultimately a coward. But you look at uh, uh, Coach Prime as a threat to him. Because Coach Prime is saying you can do this in a different way. You can respect young black African-American men and and tell them they can be different and you can do this in a way that's different from what's been done before. And a guy like Dan Lanning knows he can't do it Deion Sanders way because he doesn't have that personality. He doesn't have that ability to change things the way that Prime does. So on one level, it's clearly uh, Coach Prime is a threat to these people. I think on another level, um, you know, a lot of these guys, well, he didn't pay his dues. You know, he didn't come up through the ranks like we did, blah, 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 whatever. And I think that the new guy and the guy that's different is always going to have a target on his back. But, you know, one one thing I'm going to tell people, like I saw it on our board quite a few times, be nice if they toned it down. Whatever, man. We're, he's not going to tone down nothing. The guy's in his 50s. He's not going to change who he is. This is who he is. And it works. And it's been working. And I make one more comparison between Coach Prime and this other idiot. Um, Dan Lanning got handed the keys to a Lamborghini. Okay. He don't even have to pay for the gas. He's got his sugar daddy, uh, you know, at Nike paying for everything. And all he has to do is keep the damn thing on the road. Coach prime got handed a, he didn't even get handed a car, man. He got a handed a pile of model T parts and he didn't even get any freaking tools and look what he's built with it already. So if you took Dan Lanning and you put him in Boulder last December, we still have half of last year's roster here and we're on four. But you put Coach Prime up on Oregon, and they're just as good as they are right now, if not better, because he knows what the heck he's doing. So, you know, a lot of this backlash is just petty and pitiful. Um, and I think that people lose sight of the fact of what he's done here and, and the rebuild he's already made and, and the direction he's going. Uh, so it's, it's, it's sad, but not unpredictable that you would see this kind of backlash. And I, I think the other thing, I'm just kind of going, you kind of, Push the button and I went. But uh, the other thing is that that's funny to me is that Deion Sanders does everything with joy. You know, he's not out there being a, a jerk and calling people out. And and I, and I go back to the Henry Blackburn thing and him taking the high road. 
because that's who he is. He's not out, you know, he said he keeps receipts because you're going to talk trash. He's going to give it back to you, but he's not out looking for people that don't do something to him first. Like these guys are. So it's funny to me that, that people can look at a guy who does this thing with so much joy and so much, so much impact on young men. Um, and, and just want to see negatives and just want to look for negatives and then just want to say, I told you so the first time something goes wrong. Nobody thought we were going 12 and 0, you know, and I didn't, you know, it's, it's not a super surprising, I guess, if we got beat that way by a top five team, but to jump on it the way people have is childish and silly. That's a lot there, William. Good stuff. Um, gosh, I, I should have been writing down notes as you went, because there's a lot I want to react to there and we'll kind of go back and forth on it. Let's sure. first start with you put yourself in Dan Lanning's shoes and, and and why do you do something like that? I think it's for recruiting. You know, they knew they saw that there were at one point 11.1 million people watching their game against CSU in the late window on ESPN. And he's probably thinking, let's make our own headlines and, and you know, this will help with recruiting because I feel like we've got a great game plan. We're going to come out and win this game and I want to motivate these guys. But it's the hypocritical aspect of what he did that you just can't overlook, right? Because right. Right. Not not yet, not yet, not yet. That video didn't get leaked. Dan Lanning wanted that video on ABC. In fact, it sounds like he was allowed allowing ABC to show a certain part of it and then decided at halftime they could show even more. And so that's the part of it where literally what you're saying to motivate your team is what you're doing in that moment. That's the part of it that I have a hard time dealing with. And to your point, when he greets Coach Prime, of course, it's going to be great job, Coach, and it's not going to be anything. uh, It's kind of he's kind of a poser. And I don't know Dan Lanning all that well, and and I don't want to go into how he got that job. I don't know his history. He's a good football coach from what I can tell. He did, to your point, also take over a team that won 10 games the year before he took over and has some of the best facilities in the country, if not the best. And so the the infrastructure was already there to win. And so it makes what he did there a lot less impressive, Oh, oh so much more less impressive than, than what Coach Prime has done in a shorter amount of time. And yeah, you're probably not going to win that game going out to Autzen Stadium with a a packed out crowd, the fifth largest in Austin Stadium history. And Travis Hunter's not out there. And, and Colorado's obviously uh, become too one-dimensional offensively. We'll get more into that later. But that was the part that 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 was hard for me to stomach, was just seeing somebody that was clearly hypocritical. And right. I've been around Dan Lanning in a couple media days. And again, I, I don't know the man, but he just has a douchey quality to him that I don't know. I, I don't like it feels as coach prime says, you know, uh, our confidence exposes other people's insecurities. Right. And that's right. what I saw from Dan Lanning over the weekend. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. You know, it's like a lot of things I look at in politics these days, like, like what, what's this guy got to be angry about? And I get on one hand, you know, he's got to motivate his team and he's got to find an angle to feed them. But you're exactly right. And I was talking with the wife about it. And I, and I told her about this whole thing. And, and, and I said, well, this, you know, he's saying oh, clicks over wins, whatever. And she said, isn't that exactly what he's doing? I'm like, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, is that uh, he he's he's out there. He's saying this so he can get clicks. 
And the implication that our guys are not trying to win is insulting and uh, frankly stupid. Um, but uh, I, I'm just, you know, one of the things I've never liked about football is that a lot of coaches are just, as you said, they're douchebags, man. I don't know what their deal is. They're all, they got these big egos and whatever, but the ones I like are the ones like Deion Sanders who were in there caring about kids. And I'm going to, and this makes me think about, <clears throat> there was an interview with Deion last week and he's talking about a moment during the, the Colorado state game with Jimmy Horn jr. And I don't know if you saw this video, but, but he mm-hmm. said, I went up to him and I, and you know, I can't even talk about it without getting emotional because he says, I'm, you know, you need to think about your dad who's, who's incarcerated and he wants to be, he's watching this game with his, with his people in there and he wants to show them, this is my son that I'm proud of. And then Jimmy Horn goes out there and uh, makes that, that game tying touchdown. And, and what you take from that is that he cares more about these kids. And I guess it, it's the same, same message as the video today. He cares more about these kids and their future. Travis Hunter, not, not, going to come on the field tell the doctor say he's ready then he does about the winning and all the you know getting his name in the papers and clicks and all that other garbage and i think in the end what how this is going to really explode and why he's going to be so good at this is because of that and kids see that now kids are going to watch this junk and some of them are going to go you know some of the superficial ones will go for that dan lanning garbage but the ones that really stop and think about are going to go this dude over here cares about me about me and my future and i want to go play for that guy and more importantly parents are going to see that too and they're going to see what a douche a guy like dan dan lanning is and i don't you know it's hard to not be successful at a place like oregon where everything's handed to you you know frankly i you know my preference to a guy like him would be shut your pie hole because you've never earned anything but uh you know it's it's just it's just interesting to me that he I, well, maybe he does see the hypocrisy and he's just a hypocrite and, 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 and got no integrity. Wouldn't surprise me one bit, but it is it is kind of amazing to see all the people that really want to see Coach Prime fail. And I don't think they're going to get their wish in the long run, because as he said, get me now, get me now, because you ain't going to get me later. Yeah, I, I would imagine that Coach Lanning cares a great deal for his players, uh, but yeah, again, the way he approached this whole situation was pretty ugly in my eyes. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like what Coach Prime is doing is not only offending coaches' insecurities, but just the way they operate. Coach right. Prime has shown that you can let people into your program, let them get an idea of what these kids' personalities are like behind the scenes. We can show you clips in the summer. We can show you clips throughout camp. Yeah, we're not going to show you formations, but we're going to show you a lot more than any other program has in the history of college football. From what I know, I don't think there's anything that's been even close in terms of the amount of contact that's out there, content that's out there. And you can still go win football games. Right. I don't think coaches like the fact that the kind of their way of, okay, so you have to go – to be a graduate assistant, then an analyst, then you have to start as position right. coach and work right. your way up. And Coach Prime, you know, he goes from coaching high school right into FCS as a head coach and, and over to Colorado. And the fact that he's doing things differently, I think, is another part where other coaches just yeah. don't understand. And uh, it, it is a lot of people that have issues with Coach Prime that are making very uninformed opinions right. based on snippets here and there. As right. opposed to digging deeper and understanding that there's a lot of flash 
but there's a lot of substance behind it. We've talked about this before, but I just think that, you know, maybe these other coaches are so busy in their day to day that they haven't decided to dig a little bit deeper. And and maybe that's why they're making these stupid comments week after week. But I really hope that Lincoln Riley just focuses on football this week so we can focus on that part of things from a coverage standpoint. And I, I just I'm kind of over it at this point. But, you know, it's not it's it's nothing different than anything that we've seen throughout uh, Deion Sanders lifetime. Right. When, when he was in the NFL, you know, all people talked about was the chains and the flash. And and what they didn't know was that if you talk to his coaches and teammates back then, he's the hardest working guy on the field. That it wasn't just the talent. It was all the de- depth and substance and understanding and all those other things that also made him great. And people just talked about his brashness and his flash. And, you know. Deion Sanders and I are, are, I don't know, I think we're about three, I think I'm maybe three years older than him, something like that. And so we came up at the same time, you know, and I got to tell you, man, you know, it's not okay for a young black to be brash and outspoken and open like that back in the seventies and into the eighties. And he was a different, uh, entirely different breed of cat. And it makes some people uncomfortable. And I'm sure people don't like me talking about it, but that's a reality, man, that, uh, he and I were born into a, into an America where racism was there, man. It's like you 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 lived in certain areas of Denver, and I lived in different areas of Denver, and uh, there weren't opportunities, you know. And it wasn't just that; like women were second class citizens. You didn't even talk about being homosexual back then. It was a different era, and yet he had a courage to push back against that. Just be him. Just be a joyful guy, and I'm going to be who I am. And so he's always kind of had nobody looked beyond the flash to see the depth that was part of the man, you know? Um, and so I don't think that's necessarily new uh, with him, um, but it is, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it tells us about people or about coaches, but I, I think, you know, the other thing you, you talk about, um, look at all the years at CU, we've been like, give us a little access, let us see practice and look at how secretive they are. Look how they don't want you to see anything and don't look behind a curtain and don't, let you see what's happening. And I think football coaches as a group are an insecure lot in a general sense that, you know, they don't want anybody to see what's going. So if things don't go well, you don't have ammunition to use against them. It's always sort of been how I've looked at it. I don't know, you know, Um, or if if somebody sees something, they'll be able to use it against me or something, but it is interesting. And I think, I think that is a, a personality trait of head coaches is they don't want people in practice. They don't want you to see what's going on behind the curtain. They don't want you to know how they're treating kids and what have you. And so to have, coach prime come in and do this in such a different such an open way and say hey you can see whatever you want i don't hide anything um and and again to to allow kids to come in and be who they are as long as long as you love this game and you will give everything you have to it that's 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 the only thing you got to do well in school and you got to do well in the field but aside from that i will let you be who you are and i will encourage you to be who you are and that's not the coaching football coaching way man and and i'm sure it's a huge threat to these guys whether they'll admit it or not to see a guy uh do this that that way and i think you're absolutely right too that some of them look at him and say well he didn't pay his dues well you know what Jane Norvell, who I don't think highly of either, he paid his dues and look what he had to do. He had to go to Nevada and CSU. Coach Prime, look what he had to do. He had to go to not arguably, but absolutely without question, the worst, the worst power five program in America to get this opportunity. So, you know, it cuts kind of cuts both ways, I think, to me. But I, 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 I certainly think it's about the insecurity of these guys more than anything else. 
I heard that Coach Prime's message to his staff after the game was, don't let this eat you alive. It snowballed on us. We're going to get better players. We're going to coach up the guys we have right now to make them the best we can. This is about a long-term vision with him. And we're going to, every game that Colorado wins, there's going to be a new rumor about where Coach Prime is going to go to next. Um, I continue from everything I hear to be encouraged about the fact that, I I don't know how long it's going to be, but he's not one foot in, one foot out. He he is all in with CU football right now. And uh, some folks maybe don't want to believe that nationally, but again, from everything I've heard, that's the case. Well, I, I like that message to his staff. And I'll tell you, as an assistant coach, I've been on the wrong side of those kind of weapons, man. And, you know, his point, don't eat you. I wish I'd have had head coaches say things like that to me. Because you go home and you go, God, you know, geez, did my unit live up? Am I in trouble? Am I going to get fired? You know, God, somebody's going to have to get their butt kicked over this, right? And to have him come and say, look, we're going to, we're, we're all in this together and we're going to work on it. It's easy for a staff in a situation like that to kind of splinter and say, oh, well, it's his guy's fault. It's the linebackers, you know, it was the running backs or whatever. And, you know, part of the leadership of when things go bad is holding things together and keeping things on the right path. And you, you, you said, it snowballed. And, and, you know, I've been in football since 1978 and man, some days things just roll the wrong way and, and, and things get going. And, you know, what is it? 2001, we got waxed by Texas earlier in the year and we came back and beat them, beat the same team in the championship at the end of the season. Now, are we going to come back and match up with Oregon and beat them again later in the year? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you can't take much of anything from any one given day in football because any given yeah, day I have, a, I have a yeah I have a theory that I want to throw at you William yeah it's something that Tad Boyle has said a few times to us he said that generally you go into a season and you kind of know what your team is capable of but any given night for whatever reason it could be xyz you could play 20 percent of you, you there's 20 percent of games that you would play above your ability and there might be about 20% where you just don't play up to your ability. And maybe that 60% is kind of who you are from a game-to-game basis. Now, you have a team that's reaching their top 20%, another team that's reaching their top, their, their lower 20%. That right. can get really ugly, right? <laughs> Again, I think Colorado and Oregon play on a neutral field 10 times. Oregon wins that series. But it's not going to look 42-6 to six that way. Right. Uh, do, do you buy into kind of that theory that – no matter what you do as a coach, as a player, preparation-wise, there just is going to be some games where it's not there and other games where you go above. But there's kind of this baseline, and it's kind of hard to predict exactly when maybe that 20%. And, and the 20% number is so rough, right? Well, that's not yeah. – go ahead. This, this, is, this is my major problem with the metrics people. You cannot quantify basketball or football or any of these games entirely by metrics and stats. And people that think you do, you can don't understand the games or the sports because at the end of the day, these are games of passion and, you know, heart and will. And, you know, we talked about it a few uh, podcasts ago. Football is a game of faith, man. You, you got you to have faith that the other 10 dudes out on the field with you are going to get their job done. You got to have faith that the coaches are going to put you in the right position. And when it starts to eat away at you in your head that, man, things are going wrong, you know, it takes an extraordinary person, a Travis Hunter type, a Deion Sanders type to overcome that and go, ah, it, it's all going to be okay. And, you know, 
I have seen so many times good teams come apart at the seams because things start to go bad early and they sure went bad this week. And then it's really hard to stop that in its tracks. And, and you know, as a coach, it's, it's, it was always very hard to stop that, you know, and, and, you know, try to keep people involved in the game, but, but it's a game of faith. And if you, if you lose the faith, even for a quarter or a half, bad things can happen. Now, I would look at this game and say, you know, you know, second half is a whole different ball game, and it was pretty even. Of, of course, different situation. They're not trying to do one thing, and we're trying to do another. But don't let forty-two to six make you think this thing is broken or is not working, because it's one game, and we'll see a lot of good out of this team the rest of the season, and likely we'll be see some bad days too. But uh, just because we got beat that bad this week doesn't mean that'll happen next week. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this. I thought it was pretty clear watching the first two games. Colorado seemed to want it more. The way they were flying around, especially defensively, gang tackling. And then it felt like CSU in Oregon, that same hunger was not there. And then I'm not trying to go into every individual player and say that they weren't giving it their all. That That's a pretty harsh criticism to throw out there. I'm just saying watching it from the press box and you want, you see the way the defense is, is swarming to the ball the first two weeks. And you haven't seen that the same way, especially at Oregon and, and CSU just seemed like the hungrier team out there for much of that game. Um, yeah. What would you think as far as that goes? Is it, or is that, can that sometimes be schematics where, if you're just not in the right place, it's going to look like you're not giving giving as much effort, even though you are. Well, you know, and this is one of the things I keep coming back to on the board is this is a complex game, man. You know, there's there's 22 guys out there on the field at any given time, 100 guys on the sidelines. There's offensive schemes, defensive schemes, there's technique. There's a lot of things that go into every play making it work. You know, people have been harshing on the offensive line, but I got to tell you, from what I see, it's, it's never an entire offensive line breakdown. It's one dude, right? You know, like five, four guys do everything right. One guy takes the wrong step and, and it blows the play up. Well, you know, I keep saying football is a game of faith, you know, and those first two games, we were hungry. We had a, we had a chip on our shoulder. People telling us we suck. We're going to get beaten. We're no good. We can't win. And, you know, there's an intangible psychological thing with human beings that, that when we're comfortable, we, we let off a little bit. And it's not something that is conscious and we go, hey, we're letting off. But somewhere in there, you, you know, you, you don't give that extra rep. You don't get stretched that extra half an inch, whatever it is. And it's human psychology. And, and I don't claim to understand it, but it's very clear to me. When you go into those games with a chip on your shoulder, and clearly CSU came into that game with a chip on their shoulder, and Dan Lanning, for whatever you know, whatever you want to say about his comment, he put a chip on the shoulder of his kids. That you know, and it's kind of it's kind of funny. Think about it for a minute. He somehow made Oregon, you know, top ranked, undefeated Oregon. He made those kids feel like they were being insulted somehow. And okay, I give him credit for that. Quite frankly. But they came in looking to prove something, and we didn't. And you're so you're 100% right. We came into CSU, like it or not, thinking we're the better team. We're going to kick these guys around and have our way with them, and that didn't happen. And then, you know, from early on, and again, it goes back to my saying, saying that it's about faith. It's like we went in there, and we couldn't just exert our will and push them around. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, shoot, what do we do now, you know? So I think you're 100% right. Those, those first two games, we had an attitude. and 
we had something to prove and coach prime and that staff got to find a way to get that back. Okay. So maybe being 42 to nothing wakes people up and, you know, we got some dudes with pride in that room, you know, Shane Coates, man, that dude's a warrior. That dude's a dog. He may not be the biggest dude at ever, but he, he wants to win real bad and he don't want to be embarrassed, you know, and there's uh Juju Mitchell, man. These are guys that do not want to be embarrassed and it's, and for real, warriors you know that stings and hopefully that sting is what brings that issue back but i think you're 100 percent right that we had a different mindset and, and and i don't want people to take that and go oh those damn coaches didn't have them ready that is not what we're saying I, I i think we're on the same page but there's just natural human psychology psychology and emotion those two games were different than the first two games we got to find a way to get that back yeah, being a heavy underdog at home, and you're going to kick off the game right when you're used to practicing versus USC, which I believe practices later in the day. I don't know how much of an advantage that is, but I do like the the early kickoffs for this squad. And uh, just not to beat a dead horse, I don't really have any issue with what Dan Lanning said, but the fact that he allowed a camera in there, which is not normally the case for Oregon pregame and for that video to get out – that that's the hypocritical part of it. Like right. coaches can, should be able to say whatever they want to, because right. to your point, he did fire that team up. Then that team wasn't fired up because they were watching those comments on TV. So he could have just said those comments and not had them on TV. If he was being true to what he right. was trying to right. convey there in that moment. Well, and, and and it's, a, it, it's exactly like Jay Norvell the week before, whose lame excuse was, well, those, those words are meant for my team. Great. Say them to your team in the locker room. And and for Dan Lanning, you haven't let anybody in the locker room. This was not a, a message meant just to motivate his team. This was a message for Deion Sanders. Make no mistake about it. This was a guy who didn't have the guts to walk up and say it to Deion Sanders. But the reason he put this on national TV was to say, you ain't part of our club. And I'm going to show you. And I got news for you, Deion Sanders, Not he, he, if he wants to be part of your club, he's going to kick the door in and come sit in the damn chair, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. I'd love to put some money down if there were odds out there in, in terms of Coach Prime getting the last laugh on that one. Now, oh, yeah. now it, it can't be with Dan Lanning, right, because they're switching conferences, which is unfortunate. I really wish that they were still on the schedule somewhere down the road so we could have a rematch of the yeah. situation once Coach Prime gets his players in there. But – He's Coach Prime is going to get the last lap. We've just seen so much momentum with Colorado football. They're turning away recruits at this point, you know, guys that, you know, previous staffs might have been accepting as commits. And so they're going to attract a higher level caliber, even even more so than last year, because Coach Prime got to Colorado in mid-December. You know, it was already pretty late in the recruiting cycle and there's just been so much time for guys that don't even know they want to transfer right now. Right. A lot of those guys probably tuned into some of these, these games for Colorado. Right. 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 And, and then, there might be a couple of them thinking in the back of their head, that'd be, that'd be pretty fun to play for him. Well, it may, may sound crazy to say this, but Colorado and Oregon are very different trajectories. Cause ours, ours is going to be like this, you know I mean? You know, they're kind of up here at the top. So there's not a whole lot of up. They can go, uh, but uh, we are on our we are on a trajectory to be up at that level. We'll, we'll we'll match back up, assuming Dan Lanning stays there long enough. We'll match back up with him. And you know, one thing, one thing I like about Prime is that uh, 
he keeps his receipts, but he doesn't, he doesn't wear them on his shoulder. He doesn't come out every day and say, Hey, you know, I'm gonna get that guy. It's just like, it's back here. I got you, man. When the time comes, I'll be there. You know, well, Ed, Ed Werder uh, was a prime example of that at the yeah. post TCU press conference. Right, there was something right. that he had uh, retweeted about Coach Prime being a celebrity head coach, which is obviously a stupid comment to make. But right. uh, he had remembered that and kind of held that, like you said, in the back pocket for quite a while without mentioning anything about it. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think you know, there, I, I see people. You know, I see comments about people that the way Prime does things rubs them wrong, whatever. I don't know, man. I, I, there's only one place for me to go with that, and I think I think you know what I'm saying. Uh, that if you if you think that the that 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 rubs you wrong, that I don't know. To me, to me, the way he's doing it is is the way young black people want to be is 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 upbeat and happy, and you know and I don't know. It, it just it just seems odd to me. I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words for once. Maybe, maybe well, this job, well, this job keeps me so busy that I don't have a whole lot of time to sit down and watch ESPN. But I was on Friday in Portland out bowling. Uh, my daughter came along, hung out with family while I covered the game. And we were bowling and there were TVs at the end of the bowling alley. And it was ESPN. And it was crazy. It was like every other time going up to bowl, Colorado was up there on some show and they're talking about the buffs. That's not coach prime's fault that they're getting this much exposure, but maybe that's why it's rubbing some people the wrong way. The fact that it's just on TV all the time. And maybe folks, that's part of why, but you know, I, again, that's not coach prime's fault that they're deciding to have every segment of every show begin with them you know uh yeah. I, I i i had a feeling that colorado was being talked about a ton nationally just because it's from the clips that are out there but I, I hadn't realized until i went bowling and just saw the magnitude of how much the buffs were up on that tv uh you know how big this thing had gotten in terms of that and, and i don't know that that might be part of it yeah and there, and there's a lot that goes into that i mean part of it is the uh, you know it's it's funny to me you know i have been thinking about it, like nobody gives a rat's backside about colorado we were we, when we were the worst team in college football last year man nobody mentioned us nobody thought about us so it's not like it's oh we hate colorado but you know people have a natural inclination to not like the upstart you know well some people you know some people like to jump on the bandwagon of the exciting new thing so i look at the, the national media and like hey this is exciting look at this team they were so bad last year and they look pretty good this year and hey coach prime and he's got that he just got that charisma, you know, and he, and, and people like, here's the thing that I was thinking about. It's like, you know, all these people that don't like prime, but look at the other side of it. Look at the people that love this guy, Michael, Michael Irvin, man, the rock, Warren Sapp, Terrell Owens, you know, all these guys that are all the commentators on TV, all the NFL guys that played with him, all of his former coach, they love this guy, love this guy. And you have to ask yourself, what, what, what is it about him? that takes these tough dudes and makes them really love him so much. And it's got to be something about, you know, who he is as a man. And it's got to tell you that there's something quality there. Uh, But I think that this is a story that's got so many different aspects that touch on so many different aspects of, of American society. And it's an exciting story. And I don't, you know, of course they're going to cover it. I think, um, you know, what I look, what I see from coach prime is he says, 
let's celebrate the young black athlete and let's embrace his culture. And he says, let's let that athlete be who he is. And what he's doing is providing a place where all these kids can do what he did, which is step up and play football the way he did it and have his kind of open love and joy for the game and feel safe doing it. So I think there are so many stories here I don't, you know, you know, I, I'm not a journalist, but I, I, you know, you're always looking for some kind of angle in a story. And there's so many angles in this story where, you know, you, there's just not, you don't run out of things to say about it. I just hope this week the angle is about football and not what a coach <laughs> says. I don't know. I think Lincoln Riley's pretty polished. I, I'd be pretty surprised yeah. if he does what we've seen the previous three weeks from head coaches, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think, you know, Lincoln Riley, he's, he's, I think he's got, he's been there and done that and sort of been, you know, he's, he's got much more, I don't know what the right word is, gravitas, I guess, or, or, or background than a a Dan Lanning or a Jay Norvell and just seems like a different kind of a more quiet guy. And and he he seems more secure in who he is. Maybe that's what it is. That's, I think you hit the head on the the button there at the end. Yep. Yeah. Well, there was a football game played out there. We mentioned the score a few times. Folks probably are cringing at that every time we mention the score. I, I thought we were going to talk basketball. You said centers, and I was like, centers? Hey, I know centers. <laughs> <laughs> so there were maybe a couple bright spots in there. Jacquez Robinson getting the first turnover of the season on Oregon and being the first to pick off Bo Nix this year. Uh, it will be interesting when Carter Stoutmeyer is ready to go. Does he push Jacquez Robinson uh, Travis Jay got in there at corner as well. He, he just he looked to me, and I saw this on our message board, and I agreed with it. He looks more like a a safety out there running around, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a bigger guy. I mean, he's almost a guy you could move up a little bit and play nickel or something like that. I mean, I think they're they're stretching a little bit to to plug him in at corner, but it is nice to see him and Jaquez Robinson finally show up and be something on the field. Um, you know. I see people expressing concern about the secondary. I'm like, well, the last thing I want to worry about on Deion Sanders coach team is a secondary because that that's going to figure itself out. But, you know, there, there, there's a significant loss uh, with Travis Hunter not in there. But uh, seeing those guys step up, I think we still need, you know, some some help up front. Um, Do you have a timer again, on that light over there? What's that? It was, Do you have a timer on that light? Computer screen and and and, and oh, and it goes, gotcha! It's like uh, I got to I got to change the setting on how it puts itself. <laughs> I'm I sorry, I totally cut you off. Keep keep going. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I I noticed it in in our one of our last times. We so I'm doing this from home. I'm um uh, I got I got to fix the dang thing. I meant to do that, but yeah, I think <laughs> I, I was talking about like up front on the defense. You know, just like I said earlier about the offensive line, five guys, right? One guy messes it up, and it looks like the whole group sucks. Well, same thing up front. You know, if if five guys don't all get their their uh, fits into their gaps and, and on their guy and get the right, you know, on the right side of the dude's body and what have you, you know, you leave a gash and good players are going to exploit that. And we played, you know, let's not leave this out of the equation. We played good players on Saturday. That was a good team with a lot of good talent. And no, that kind of talent is going to exploit the smallest little hole and what you have. And, and just like, you know, the faith works against us when things start to go bad, when, when you get the feeling early that you're rolling, you know, it works the other way and they believe that they can do it, whatever they want to do. So, you know, we keep harping on this. I just don't take too much from that, but yeah, there are clearly things that we need to fix and work on, on this team. I want to push back a little bit. You were talking about origins tra- trajectory 
kind of flatlining a little bit. I mean, there is a scenario that plays out this year where they're in the college football playoff team. Now, I, I don't know if I project that at this point based on one dominant performance over Colorado, but Bo Nix is a magician back there. They've got the skill town. They got three backs that could play for most teams in the country, if not every team in the country. Um, one of the top receivers in Franklin. And if their defense can step up the way that folks covering that program think it's gotten better, that is a not necessarily a complete top-to-bottom football team, but they've got a chance to go on a run. Yeah, but what I guess what I'm saying is that I, you know, that 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 I already took that into I already expected Oregon to be a contender for the national championship in the playoff, right? So they're already at that level. There's nowhere to go up. I mean, I guess it would be a small pick up if you won the national Well, championship. Colorado's trying to uptick to to be in that spot, if we're being fair, right? Well, no, but what I'm saying is we're, you know, look, let's be honest, we're we're still way the heck down here. You know, we're not we're not even at that level yet. What I'm saying is we're right. we're old like this. And and when you're at the top, there ain't a whole lot of up to go. You know, the only up or from where they can go right now is to actually win the national championship because they've been in the playoffs. And so what I'm saying about Oregon's trajectory is that they're, you know, when, once you're towards the ceiling, there ain't a whole lot of up to go. Um, you know, now quite frankly, I'll believe Oregon wins the national championship when I see it, because at the end of the day, they're a soft team and they always have been. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I think when they get against hard nosed teams like Georgia or Michigan or, uh, you know, Alabama and things like that, they get punched in the mouth and they fold up, but maybe this is the year that is different. I don't, you know, Dan Lanning doesn't look to me like the kind of, he, he looks like a kind of a soft white bread coach to me. He, he doesn't, nothing about him or his background strikes me as the kind of dude that puts a, a tough team on the field, but I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah. What else from this game do you want to talk about? I, again, Shador is just hit way too often yeah. He was sacked seven times. Pro Football Focus said that he was pressured 14 times. That's – I don't care who you are. You could be Superman. Well, I guess Superman would just fly and do whatever he would do with his powers. But <laughs> right. a human being can't do a whole lot when you got people in your face that often. And I don't expect – and I said this after the game. I don't expect Colorado's offense to be 50-50 pass run. Well, you got too many defenses that are too comfortable feeling like Colorado is going to pass it 90% of the time. And those pass rushers can pin their ears back because they're not having to worry about the run as much and right. filling their gaps. So I also understand you don't want to try to pound a square peg through a round hole if the running game is not working, but you got to get the running game working is my point. You got to find some way to get it working and they're not, getting the push in the interior of the old line the way that they want to. And that's a problem, but you've got to find some way if you're going to have a chance against these elite teams. Well, I don't think they've tried to establish the run. And I, and, and my feeling four games in is that the, the passing game was so successful early and that Shadur is such an electric, electron, electric, uh, what am I trying to think? Shadur is such a, a excellent an electric. Yeah electric and they, that they just relied on him and, and, you know, clearly the strength of this offense is the wide receiver room and the quarterback. So they went with that and they didn't try to establish the run in the first game. You know, they were just trying to win that thing. And then they, they never really tried to get the running game going. We haven't really seen him, uh, Lewis calling plays like he did at Kent state, you know, and I put up on the board, a, 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 an outside zone that worked really well to Dylan Edwards. And I'm not saying it's going to work for 10 yards every time you run it. But one of the things about that, that particular play is you're not counting on 
your the interior line to push guys around. Zone blocking is predicated on the idea that guys with lesser talent on the offense can take guys that are with more talent on the defense and let them go where they want to go, and the running back finds his lane up in there. That's the whole theory behind zone zone uh, offense is is to give smaller offensive guys a chance against big ones. Um, you know, obviously they've got that blocking scheme in the, in their game in their game plan because I've seen it. Um, you know, so. I don't think that they've tried to establish the run very much. I think it, it sort of feels like he's afraid to do it. Um, but then um, I think he needs to figure out a way to, to do that. They need to look at the, I don't know what's in that playbook, quite frankly, um, but uh, misdirection, the way you're going to be, you're not going to beat a bigger defensive line running, you know, straight isos and dives and stuff between the tackles. You got to do misdirection. You got to do counters. You got to do zone uh, uh, sort of stuff and, and things like that, but you have to get that going. And the other thing is you can find ways to back off those linebackers a little bit. You know, if, if you're hitting quick slants in the seams right behind them, there are ways to do it offensively. And I know that Lewis knows how to do those things because I've seen him do it. Um, I just wonder if he's a little bit afraid to try it. I don't know, you know, and he's got to get back that gunslinger. I got nothing to lose here you know, sort of mentality, especially this week. It's like, we're supposed to lose anyway. Let's just throw it all cost to win. Let's throw it down deep and let 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 our guys try to run past them. Let's, let's flood those underneath zones the way Colorado State did with a Michael Harrison or, or some of those guys on quick slants and, and back them up off of that so that they can't just uh, – rush you know if you can get rid of the ball quickly to a guy on a quick slant then all that all that rushing blitzing means nothing because you know one two bam and and you're done so there are things to be done um and i don't know you know nobody wants to hear it but it's not entirely on the offensive line what's going on here um and you know i think uh lichtenhan had a rough day uh against a very good guy who's going to get drafted um i thought uh, Washington had a solid day, but then, you know, we don't have, we don't have what we need at guard and there's just no doubt about it after four games, which is a surprising cause we expected some pretty solid things out of Bailey and Wilty and yeah. BB. Uh, that that's been a little bit surprising. Uh, yeah. to me. I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think losing, losing, um, um, our big guy, uh, Brown, Tyler Brown, uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that's got that size and power to move people up front. Um, Jack Bailey's always been a smaller guy. Now, I was very encouraged by what he did in the first two games, um, but he's been getting a little bit beat and pushed around a lot. Uh, I wouldn't say pushed around, but he, he's, he's certainly not able to move the line with his size. Um, and I'm surprised we haven't seen more of Wilty and maybe BB on the left side because he's a little bit bigger. But, you know, to me, our problem on that offensive line is those guards are just not able to, to match up against the bigger, stronger, more powerful guy. And I don't know that we have an answer right now for this year. Um, you know, maybe next year with Tyler Brown, another year under for Wilty or whatever, but I, you know, quite clear they, they need to cut here. I was watching the Oregon game and Oregon's offense, their right guard. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but that dude's a monster, man. He just comes up to the line and he's a ginormous human being. He's got that look in his eyes. You just know he's out there to punish dudes. And we need those guys, man. There's no question about it. We need those guys. Um, it's too bad that we had to go to a true freshman. I'm not going to, I think Hank is 
did a good job for for a guy just out of high school at that spot but you know we should have had more depth at center a lot of these guys that we brought in as transfers haven't even seen the field yet and they've got to got to develop something out of those guys something they can't all be busts or else that tells me something about our uh our uh, uh evaluation of them before they came in so are we going to fix that offensive line? I think we can get better. I think some of it is technique issues. I think some of it is missed assignments. There was one play a couple of weeks ago where they showed an end zone shot of it and, and uh, uh, Dylan Edwards got tackled three yards deep and, and the whole offensive line was doing zone technique to the left, but BB and they froze it and I froze it on one spot and, and BB's not doing what they're doing. Right. So so the deep he's supposed to be come down hard on a defensive tackle. That guy comes right behind Hank. Now everybody's gonna say Hank got beat. No, he did not. That was BB not coming down and doing his job. Okay, because Hank was doing what he was supposed to do, and that's where you have to mesh with each other and count on each other. So some of it is missing assignments, some of it's technique, and some of it, quite frankly, is talent. And you know, we can't go to the you know, there's nobody out there we can bring in. We got what we got. So they're going to have to figure out a way around it. And, and that's either going to have to be increase the technique, get better on the, on the assignments or scheme, scheme your way around it. And there are ways around it. And I know that they're smart enough to do it. So we'll see what they come up with. Like you, I'm not going to overreact to one game. They get blown out again this Saturday. Maybe the, the conversation changes a little bit, but I really would be surprised if that's the case. I don't expect that to happen even against her super talented USC team. Uh, I'm going to nitpick here a little bit. I thought the starters were out there way too late in that game out in Eugene. Yeah. That and Xavier Weaver got banged up a little bit late. I, yeah, I just maybe you want to get points on the board to just get that feeling going in the locker room, but I don't think it's worth the risk at that point. That was one other aspect that uh, I didn't think was the best strategy to go about late when you're already down. Uh, yeah. Six touchdowns. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think that's a new, I think that's a new scenario for, for prime to be in that situation. And maybe he's not sure, you know, maybe he's not ready to handle that yet because uh, that's not a situation he's been in and, and he is a competitor and he wants to keep trying to, to do what he does, but he's got to learn to put those other backups in and get that, you know, at the very least get them reps and protect your other guys. You know, it's like the old saying uh, survive, you know, let's survive and come back and fight again another day. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like, man, I've been on those sidelines and it's tough to swallow, you know, when it's time to throw in the sort of figuratively, you're throwing in the towel when you put in your backups and and it's, and it's, it's not easy to do, man. You know, you know, it's like, okay. Cause those guys, they want to stay out there and show that they're not as bad as they looked. And they're like, coach, I want to stay in there. I want to stay in there. And, and, you know, you got to stand up and be the adult and say, no, your backup's going in. Let's do this. It's not easy. It is not as easy as people think it is when you're a true competitor. Alden McCaskill got out there late. And I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in anything that happened that late. He had a couple of nice carries in there. But, you know, at that point, Oregon's just kind of running out the clock in their heads. I feel pretty confident, though, that he's their best all-around true running back. And I hope that the fact that he got his feet wet at Colorado worked a little of the rust off their game action, like means that we get to see him against USC. Cause I want to see them try to become a 
multi-dimensional offense with Alton McCaskill getting some carries out there. I'm, yeah. you know, the, the trainers have ultimate say in terms of all that stuff. But uh, if you're willing to put him out there late against Oregon, I think you uh, should give him at least an opportunity early in that USC game. Yeah. And I think that there, he's, he's one. And, you know, some of the others we mentioned earlier, Robinson and Jay and other guys like that, you know, Gant at some point needs to, to step up and, you know, there's, there's still some guys that can add things to this team. And there's some young guys that are going to continue to get better as the season goes by. Uh, so I think, like you say, with a little, with a, knock the rust off and get out there and get used to game speed and whatever, um, that McCaskill maybe is more ready to go against USC. And I think, you know, we hopefully we come back, we have a tighter game and then we get a bye week to kind of clean things up and get people healthy and, and roll into the second half of the season. Not quite the second half, but, um, you know, uh, look, there's a lot of positives still for this team. And I, I absolutely, you know, on our preseason podcast, I said six and six, man, that's still there, you know? And I think we all got a little bit carried away by how we started out with, with that three, you know, thing. And people were talking eight, nine, 10 wins and whatever, but our goals, uh, you know, for a bowl game or whatever, are still very much out there. And, uh, you know, there ain't a lot of teams we're going to face the rest of the year as good as what we saw last Saturday. So I think there's going to be some good days yet to come. People need to take a deep breath and wait and see how it develops, because I do think we have a good coaching staff here. Are, are we are we great coaching staff top to bottom? I don't know. That's too, too way too early to say, you know, along the lines of people saying, well, let's get rid of Bill O'Boyle. I mean, we we have not seen enough yet to make that determination. Okay, but I'll tell you this, I think back to Coach McCartney, Bill McCartney, and, and after his first season, after his first three seasons, he 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 got rid of a coach here and there each one of those seasons until he got the staff he wanted. Um, and I don't think that we'll have any problem with Coach Prime doing the same thing. I don't think he's going to keep people around just because they're his pals. This guy wants to win. He wants to win bad. And, you know, if that means that he has to make some hard cuts in his coaching staff, that's what he'll do. Yeah, so many times we talked about how tough the schedule was coming out the shoot. And I thought, okay, if Colorado can find a way somehow to be four and three going into that bye week, things are looking great for them. Because it's seven games, right, before the bye, I believe. Right now they're three and one. And I would say the most likely scenario, and maybe this is me drinking uh, or looking through buff colored glasses, but five and two seems like the most likely scenario going into the bye week. You've got Arizona State and Stanford coming up after USC. Right. So that would even be a be above. So again, putting things in perspective here a little bit, 42 to six is not a, a score you want to see on that scoreboard as a Buffs fan, but really nothing should surprise people that had realistic realistic expectations going into the season from where this team is record wise, you know, and that's the, the, the beautiful thing about football is, you know, they play a close game against CSU escape with a win or you get just absolutely hammered on the road. It still counts as one right. win or loss in, in, in the, the standings. Right. 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 And that, that's the thing that, you know, you, you still have to think about your, your goals long term as a season. I'm trying to pull up the, the uh, schedule here. But, um, yeah, I think you're right that uh, uh, all those things are still out there. And, and, and really the key, you know, again, 
the key, what you find when you start to learn about people is during adversity. So we're going to find out what kind of a coaching staff we got and how they can uh, find ways to keep these guys on board and to get better as the season goes on, because, you know, we're, we're only a quarter of the way into the season um, and there's a lot of football to be played. So I think we're going to see, uh, you know, I, I believe this is the kind of coaching staff that continues to get the most out of their players. And we'll see this team get better each week. Um, but, uh, you know, we got another tough test this week with, with another top 10 team. Um, and there's no question that they have more talent than we do across the board. And it doesn't help that, that we have our best player not out there. But uh, as you say, you know, going, looking forward at this schedule, the, the meet schedule uh, and teams we can beat are out there still to be played. Yeah, I've covered a lot of blowout losses with Colorado at Oregon. In fact, Outside of 2016, there wasn't a close game that I covered out in that Autzen Stadium. Right. And even in my job, I can't cheer. Uh, I can't really wear CU gear when I'm working. But I've never tried to hide the fact that, you know, there's nobody that wants to see CU win more than I do. And uh, so some of those drives back from Eugene to Portland were pretty depressing in the past. I got to tell you, driving back this past Saturday, aside from the traffic I hit and the rain coming down, there wasn't one feeling of fear about where Colorado football is headed. It was a drastically different feeling that I had after covering that game than I had in previous blowout losses there. Well, I think, you know, I think what one of the things that, you know, I mean, I I was I, I wasn't happy at the outcome of that game at all, but I certainly wasn't in the place I was the last several years after a thing like that, because here's the difference. There was nothing coming, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, there was nothing else coming, man. There is no that whatever that head coach was, the recruiting is not going to get better. There's not going to be transfers coming in. You know, there is nothing on the horizon that was going to make it better. All right. Whereas you sit here now and you, you know, if you have half a brain, you know, we're at the bottom of where we're going to be and we're just going up, man. And there's going to be reinforcements coming to me. You know, it's not going to happen this particular year, but um, this coach and this coaching staff are going to bring in the dudes, you know, and they're going to get better as a coach and staff and they're going to get better as a team. And so when you look at it moving forward, it's a rough day Saturday, but what you had was hope for the future and pretty, pretty big hope quite frankly, you know, realistic, realistic expectations that within, you know, foreseeable future will be a top 20, top 10 type of team. Um, and it can happen pretty quickly. So, you know, we got to eat our plate of poop from all these wise guys on the, on, on, online and all that sort of stuff this week. But as you said before, Brian's going to get the last laugh. So get your shots in now. Yeah. USC at 10 a.m. I mentioned that early kickoff. Uh, every year I get older, I love these early starts more and more. You get a little breakfast burrito. If I can't right. do this, but if you're out there partying, you can just you know pull an all nighter, go out there and, and tailgate. <laughs> yeah, get get an app, a little bit of your afternoon and evening on Saturday left to watch other games or do whatever you got to do. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and it's an it's you know it's it's a lovely time of year. You know. It really is, yeah. And, and, you know, it, it just, I, I, I like it a lot, you know, as long as, as a coach, as you can get you guys on the right um, schedule with their bodies and minds and ready to be ready to play at that early time, you know? And I, and I think, you know, it's like a 10 30, 10 30 game for us is a nine 30 in the morning game for them. 
Uh, yeah, it would be 9 a.m. Pacific time for them. And yeah, I'll double check this, but I'm pretty sure they practice later in the day. So again, I, I don't know. Does that matter? I would say for college kids, it would matter less if it's a night game and you're used to practicing in the morning because college kids just don't go to bed super early generally. Uh, you would think it would be harder the other way around what USC is having to do if, if it has any impact at all. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's one of those little intangibles, you know, as you, you know, there's a hundred things that probably impact the game that probably has a little bit of influence on it. Um, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. Any final thoughts here? I think we went over an hour again with basically no plan coming into this show. So I've enjoyed just coming in with some of these in-season podcasts, not having a plan and just kind of going back and forth. I felt it was a good discussion, even though maybe people are were sick of hearing about the Dan Lanning stuff. But uh, I, I know you had some things to get off your chest, and I guess I did too. Yeah, and, you know, I think that, you know, the things that we talk about, you know, based on what people's comments are, especially on the YouTube channel, I think we we hit a lot of the same things that people are thinking about and talking about out there who are watching this. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, to, to some extent, could we have spent the whole hour? Let's look at every position on the team and see what's wrong and what's good. Well, you know, we've kind of done that before, and everybody saw the game. We all know, you know <laughs> – what, what am I going to tell you, man? There's a guy, you know, in the locker room that you didn't know about that's going to come and fix this offensive line. It is what it is, you know, and, and I think what we can take is moving forward, I think you can still expect improvement from this team. I, I still think it's a well-coached team, and we'll see what happens. And, and ultimately, in the long run, I, I think in the short short run to me is is this whole season as it plays out. I think we still have reason for a lot of hope, and I think in the long run we got reason for even more hope. So don't let a bad day take your feet out from under you completely. And and I get it because you know the last ten years a day like that was par for the course, but I don't think that's going to be par for the course moving forward. Well, well said, William. Let's end the show there. I appreciate you, as always, for taking the time out and uh, appreciate everybody out there for tuning in. We'll be back hopefully next week. Uh, we'll see. Can can Colorado put up a fight and maybe pull off an upset against USC? I do expect it to be a good game. Again, thanks, everybody out there for tuning in.